When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. You retweeted an unflattering picture of her next to a picture of your wife. I didn't start it. Oh, but that's, I didn't uh, start uh, it. Sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. Anytime he gets upset, anytime he gets threatened, anytime he gets scared, he begins yelling, he begins often cursing. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who said Chris Christie totally knew about his aide shutting down the George Washington Bridge in 2013. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Two of those aides are now on trial, by the way. And let's not forget, the Trump transition team is being run by who? Chris Christie. I digress. So this is our last show before the first debate on Monday night. This could be a decisive event. The first debate is usually the most watched, and this one may be the most watched ever, despite being up against Monday Night Football. If Trump scores big and gets a three to four point bounce in the polls, he could make this into a truly close race. That kind of bounce for Hillary Clinton could turn the Trump presidency that we talked about yesterday into a minimal risk. The stakes really could not be any higher, and the game playing is already underway. Trump is working the ref. He's claiming the moderator, Lester Holt, is politically biased against him. On the other side, Hillary Clinton is trying to figure out how to provoke Trump into being his most obnoxious, belligerent self. It's not usually hard. Without falling into various traps that Trump and Roger Ailes will be trying to set for her. What's his strategy going to be? What should her strategy be? I'll be back to discuss all of this with Claire Malone of 538 right after we do the tweets. Hillary was involved in the email scandal because she's the only one with judgment so bad that such a thing could have happened. Crooked Hillary Clinton wants to flood our country with Syrian immigrants that we know little or nothing about. The danger is massive. A vote for Clinton Kane is a vote for TPP, NAFTA, high taxes, radical regulation, and massive influx of refugees. Jeff Zucker failed at NBC, and he is now failing at CNN. 
The CNN panels are so one-sided. Almost all against Trump. Fox News is so much better. And the ratings are so much higher. Don't watch CNN. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My guest today is Claire Malone. She's a senior political writer at 538. Claire, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I want to talk to you about the debate. You've been, you've been writing about it and texting about it and podcasting about it. And this is our last show before the debate. And I guess the first question is, what are the expectations like going in? And why do we always play this expectations game around debates? Well, I think we play it because we anticipate them so much and we have nothing better to do <laughs> that, we, that we just like to set up gambling odds. You know, I think Clinton has... People have high expectations for Clinton in, in the debate, which, you know, I think some people have been saying, well, that's, you know, if you have high expectations, they can always come, you know, can always come crashing down on the real thing. But I actually think in some ways the debate could be Clinton's to lose this time around, just because I think Trump seems to be in Trump's preparation and the way that, that the campaign is, you know, I guess they are lowering their expectations. They're saying, you know, he's not really... He's not really taking debate prep too seriously. He's just going to, you know, speak from the gut. I think in some ways it's it's Clinton's to lose because she just is, you know, I just read a CNN thing maybe 10 minutes ago that says from Robbie Mook who said, you know, she's going to spend the whole time fact-checking Trump. And we'll see how that works. But, you know, the expectations games are, you know, it's, it's high for Clinton and it's the first time, you know, where you're putting them in, in the same room and really face-to-face they are to you know, not just physically and gender-wise, but two very different types of people. And debates are substantive things, ideally. So it's, a, it's an odd expectations game this year, I think. Why would she telegraph her strategy? I mean, fact-checking Trump might be a good strategy, but why would she tell him several days in advance if that's really what she's planning to do? I mean, I think that people could probably guess that there was going to be a lot of debunking or pushing back on Trump's statements. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a strategy to sort of, you know, psych him out. Who knows? I, I, I kind of don't pretend to know the psychodrama that, that campaign managers and strategists have going on when it comes to this, this particular um, debate. I think perhaps there is some onus on, on putting out there perhaps for people like us, for the media, to say, hey, you'd better be on your game about correcting Trump, right? You know, there's the whole Matt Lauer interview where, you know, they they sort of were very lax in, in letting Trump get away with a lot of stuff. So in some ways, I think this could actually be them setting expectations for the media, which we all know the media plays a big, a big spin game, you know, and especially even more so in the age of Twitter and and Facebook posts, which can happen, you know, instead of the concrete drying overnight, it's sort of like quick set plaster of Paris or something, the way that that Twitter sort of says, oh, you know, this was the moment, that was the moment. And and I think in some ways that that announcement by the Clinton campaign is setting an expectation for people to, to, to really hold Trump to account. 
which I think there's been more of in the past couple weeks. You know, there was the Chiron fact-checking that started maybe three weeks ago. I don't know. I lose time. <laughs> time in this campaign. It's all a blur. 47 days to the election. That's the number yeah. you have to keep yeah. in mind. You guys know. There you go. Um, you know, I think, th- I think there is something that's shifting a bit where people in, in the press, because there have been so many conversations about Trump being treated on a, on a sliding scale, held to a different standard, grading on the curve, whatever you want to say about it, that I think that there has been a bit more vigilance. There's something in the water about, about that. And I think perhaps the Clinton team senses that. And that's what that sort of message from Robbie Mook is. Right. But related to the expectations game is a sort of game of, about sort of prepping the ref or, you know, kind of right. prodding there. Lester Holt is going to be the moderator. And Clinton people would like to push him saying, don't embarrass yourself like Matt Lauer by letting Trump get away with this bullshit. Right. And Trump is already, I saw was on O'Reilly yesterday and said, oh, of course, Lester Holt's a Democrat. He's biased against me. So he's sort of trying to put him on notice. Hey, you know, you better not be unfair to me. And I mean, it's just sort of funny. You're kind of like every, everyone's trying to predict that you're going to help the other side. Right. Right. Which is funny because I think especially this year, I mean, the way I see it, this for, you know, there are people who are who have been in Trump's camp since the very beginning who are, you know, for sure swayed towards him. There are people in Clinton's camp. What I see this is, is sort of, I mean, this is a trite thing to say, but this year more than ever, it's one about convincing swing voters that someone is more capable to be commander in chief. And two, I think it's it's creating a permission structure for traditional Republicans, Republican-leading independents to vote for someone like Clinton, to say, hey, I do dislike her on a personal level. I think that the 90s were bad, and I think the Clinton shtick is old and we need something new, but Trump is not the way to go. And it's it's about letting those people, you know, sort of laying out, the, you know, really laying out the facts in prime time for them and saying, if you're Clinton, saying, you can't vote for him. He's not fit for office. And if you're Trump, it's trying to push on those people and say, hey, listen, if, if I were Trump's advisors, and I think they're probably going to try to be doing this, they're trying to be convincing him to talk as much like a normal Republican candidate as possible, which in some ways is, is sort of impossible because he is going to have to defend a lot of the, frankly, nutty things that he has said and, and incoherent policy stances that he has, that his, that his team has been spending the last, you know, whatever, six weeks, months, trying to smooth smooth out. Um, but but it, it really is, I think there's a lot of attention being paid to sort of, you know, the white suburban vote in some ways, and, and perhaps, you know, from Clinton's end of things, trying to catalyze her base. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how she handles things like, you know, she's not, I highly doubt she's going to use the basket of deplorable language, but I do think that there's going to be a, some time spent on her part calling out Trump's affiliation with racist Twitter accounts, his comments about Judge Curiel. So there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of going to be interesting playing to base, but also... If I were Hillary Clinton, here's what I'd say about that. I'd say, it's not me insulting your supporters. You're insulting your supporters by assuming that they're that they're racist, that they, that they don't take things seriously, that they're going to accept this drivel you've been giving them. Who's condescending to them? Not me, you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good line. It, it, I think, you know, she's... It, the, the one, the one bad thing about her using deplorables and sort of tr- trying to use the, the very imperfect math of what did she say, generally speaking, or something along those lines, that line was so easy to twist into. Hillary Clinton thinks 
half of Republicans are deplorable, you know, and I think Trump's team will try to spin it that way. And I think she will, as you sort of say, try to say, no, no, no. I think that this is a very, very small part of the electorate, actually, that's been given a big microphone by Steve Bannon and the Trump campaign, just sort of lifting, you know, elevating the corners of the Internet and the bad parts of society that have always lurked there. But here's what I'm worried about, Claire. I'm worried that Trump's going to do a version of what Romney did in the first debate in 2012 and show up and be moderate, reasonable, forget about all this sort of the things he did in the primaries and all the baggage. You know, most of America, I mean, this is going to be the biggest audience he's had. There are going to be a lot of people watching who haven't had exposure to this, who are not like talking about, you know, David Fahrenheit's latest story and who are going to say, oh, that seemed kind of reasonable, that he can just have a personality transplant and Hillary Clinton will be left sputtering saying, wait a minute, that's not what you said before. And he can just be very dismissive of that. I think that's their biggest fear, too, is that he, is that he acts like a regular uh, Republican, which is why I think, you know, people have been talking about she has stacks of briefing books. What I think will, you know, if he does have that sort of personality transplant, I think she will be doing a lot of quoting his words back directly and using the tons and tons of things that he said over the past year and asking him to answer for it. And I think that that will be their strategy in that definitely worst case scenario. And then I think the the fear of the Clinton camp is that how will the the, the media play it afterwards, right? And, you know, which gets to the Robbie Mook thing of sort of priming us all for Trump's inaccuracies. Um, I, you know, I don't know how that, that looks the next morning. I don't know how people read it on, on TV, you know, the, the Trump being a commander in chief. I mean, like, you know, from the pure aesthetics of it, what is he, a six foot two man versus a woman? Like, let's, let's be honest here, like the gender stuff and the pr- physical presence, I think will be part of it much as people would like it not to be. We all have physical bodies and, uh, and, and that's how they play on television. And perhaps if Trump acts, I think their, their big fear is if Trump acts calm, cool, collected. I, I don't know how that looks the next day. I think it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. There's also jujitsu here, though, because if she can provoke him into being his worst self, being a bully, being aggressive, being personal, being nasty, you know, it's usually not that hard to provoke him into doing that because he, he has no discipline and he kind of fly, flies off. If she can successfully provoke him, she can win the debate that way without really it depending on anything she says. It's just like this guy presented himself as an unstable menace. Yeah, and, I, and there, there's been a lot of stuff about how the Clinton team is working with psychologists to, to sort of, you know, review tape and find out what was said at certain moments that made Trump go off. And Roger Ailes is telling him, don't take that bait. Roger Ailes is saying when she says that you're not really a billionaire or whatever, don't, you know, don't respond. Right. And he he might or he might not. I mean, it does come down to, will Trump respond to those pressure points? Will he get a little nasty? I mean, it, you know, it's funny because he's also, his campaign has been doing, and the, and the RNC has been doing something, which I think is a clever way of gathering email addresses, but they've been sort of crowdsourcing, what should Mr. Trump say on the debate stage? And one of the questions is, should he call Hillary Clinton crooked Hillary? Yes or no? Please fill out this survey. Um, and... I don't think I think if he listens to Ailes and the Better Angels <laughs> campaign. <laughs> pardon, um, pardon, pardon the concept of Ailes as a better angel in any <laughs> in any universe, but yes, go on. Yeah. It's, a twi- it's a twisted little thing, but I, I think he will take the advice, and it, I think he will not say things like that. I think he will not use 
the nicknames that he batted around on the GOP primary stage, which which stuck, but also who knows what he'll do. I think that's why everyone was sort of like we're hotly anticipating this as, I mean, it's not just, it's sort of, I know it's going up against football, but it sort of does feel like the Super Bowl of what could a live television event be, which is, which is also the perverse thing about this election, which is that it is kind of, it's all spiraling towards this one, you know, these three televised events that we all, you know, sort of maybe, maybe if you believe that debates usually don't actually have that much of an effect on polls in the long run. But if there is one that does, it's the first one. Yeah. I mean, we've, we sort of talked about this, that we had a, we had a little Slack chat, um, Nate Silver, Harriet and I, I guess yesterday. And when we talked about, you know, usually debates will give the person who quote unquote wins it, maybe a three or four point bounce, perhaps a bounce that can fade off sort of like the, the convention bounce fades off. But we did talk about a couple instances where debates did have an impact on the election. We talked about 1980, where someone like independent John Anderson didn't do very well and basically just fell out of the running, essentially, in 1984, I think. Reagan did very well. So there, you know, there are, and kind of walked away with it. If we can. I mean, if Trump gets a three or four point bounce from here, I'm, I'm going to Pennsylvania knocking on doors. I mean, that is, that is panic time. But, you know, I, it's funny, Claire, I heard um, Mark Cuban talking about this, and I thought he had some really smart advice for Hillary, which I think he's probably been giving her in private too or to her people, which is that, you know, the killer line for her isn't like, isn't a scripted line. It's being dismissive of him in a way that really riles him because it shows a certain kind of disrespect, you know, and it's sort of her saying, oh, really? Or seriously? Or there you go again, you know, rolling her eyes. Actually, like what Gore got in such trouble with in the debates with Bush, you know, where his eye rolling was thought to be obnoxious and impolite. But if she can kind of get to Trump doing that, he'll go nuts and he'll lose the debate for himself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a strategy to go to. I think the one thing to bring up gender again is this, and there have been countless studies about how people react to women who are perceived as aggressive is the wrong word, but I don't even know what the right word right. is. But There's that's no not not that aggressive. Word. That's why she should be dismissive. Yeah. I, is that yeah. a bad gender stereotype? Do people not like it when women are dismissive? <laughs> people don't like it when anyone is dismissive. But yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, well, you can't. They don't like it whatever a woman candidate does, which is kind of true. But Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's funny. To, I, maybe dismissive is a good way to do it, to sort of put them off as sort of like this this silly person who's playing playing at a part that you know she I guess she risks if she you know I even hate that I'm having this, <laughs> I have to have this conversation but I think she risks if she's plays dismissive that she's being condescending right that's one thing that right. people could say that plays into Hillary's brand but at the end of the day like she has to she has to do one of these options and it's the sort of I keep on thinking of especially after her health scare and just like you know her whole idea of presenting herself as a the competent, the most competent, the most commander in chief like I keep on thinking of the fact that this has been a thing that women have to do for centuries. There's the Elizabeth the first speech right before the Spanish Armada, right, where she says, <laughs> uh, I may have the, the weak and feeble body of a of a woman, but I have the the heart and the stomach of a of a king and the king of England at that. And I kind of think that that's in whatever modern version yeah. <laughs> Hillary Clinton has to come at independence, people who are waffling with that, which is I am an imperfect choice, but the other option is 
uh, the Spanish overrun our shores or Donald Trump becomes president, right? So that's kind of, kind of like yeah. an odd. She has a very odd line to have to walk. But she's I, gotten she's pulled that off before. I mean, when she debated Rick Lazio in her Senate campaign, he he lost that debate badly, and it was partly because he sort of he sort of mansplained or bullied her. You know, he had kind of obnoxious masculine behavior, and she sort of let him hang himself with that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's definitely you know best case scenario. So maybe Mark Cuban is right. Maybe being slightly dismissive with a, with a note of humor about it. Right, humor in the right places. You know, very serious at points when you know. But I also think that there are points where she can sort of be winning. And and I think because I think even Trump supporters would say, listen, the guy's a big mouth. We know it. I think I think I read somewhere. Don't don't quote me exactly, but something like only forty two percent of Republicans actually believed he'd ever build a wall. You know, like people right. don't. They already don't. They already don't believe him. Right. So there. So there is a lot of room for her to play into these things that everyone at America basically acknowledges are ridiculous about Trump's stances or rhetoric. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how she she mixes those mixes those those in, in in her actual sort of more more serious substantive policy points. 40 plus percent of the electorate or whatever it is, is not persuadable. She has to go after the, the small margin of persuadable voters. And then, as you were saying earlier, shore up her base so that people are turn out to vote. And that's where being terrified about Trump comes into play. Yes, definitely. And, and I think, you know, the first debate might be a very different character than the second couple for her. I mean, you know, I think I think it's probably most important for her in this first debate in some ways to establish the tone for those people who are still waffling, like perhaps later on and in different venues, she'll she'll shore up her base more. But right now, I think it's about presenting as much as much as she can likable Hillary, you know, sort of more in line with the people like Hillary Clinton when she's in office, not when she's running for office. That's a very tired fact that's, you know, or, you know, conventional wisdom thing that's been dragged around, but it's kind of true. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's about this debate is about creating the telegenic difference in persona, right? How are, how actually do these two different people act under pressure and what do they look like lined up face to face? So I think it's an, in some ways it's creating, it's an atmospheric debate, you know, for both of them. All right, Clara, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be watching this debate with uh, Twitter in one hand and a beer in the other. What's the what's the drinking game here? What's the Trump line when you have to drink and what's the Clinton line when you have to drink? Ooh, well, I think if I'm going off of predict it, which is the... <laughs> and the goal is to drink as much as possible. Let's be clear. I kind of... Well, I don't... Yeah, let's see. I mean, uh, for Clinton, it's if she uses like racist... <laughs> uh, and she won't use the plural, but let's say racist for Clinton during yeah. every time she says racist or any permutation of that word. And for Trump, I mean, who knows? I think the big, like, I think the chug word is <laughs> or chug phrase is if he says crooked Hillary, which uh, predicted.org, which is this like elections betting market, has a lot of side markets about the debate. I encourage people to check that out. But one of the big ones, one of the hot ones is will Donald Trump call Hillary Clinton, crooked Hillary at the first presidential debate. So I'll be watching for that and maybe chugging. Who knows? Well, uh, well, just remember the tweets that come from Donald Trump during the debate were not tweets from Donald Trump. (laughs) I'd be very impressed if he could text under the podium. Yeah, I think he can. Um, Claire, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. 
His debate strategy is heavy on jujitsu. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. He recommends the rope-a-dope strategy. Give the dope plenty of rope. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. He says Hillary should bob and weave and hit Trump with a clean birther punch. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. He just can't wait until the drinking games start. And have you left us a rating and review on iTunes? It's simple, and we'd be grateful if you would. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Sorry, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest, and you all know it. Please don't feel stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.